Last week on The Gaggle, we were joined by Arizona Republic reporter Stacey Barchinger to talk about the new abortion bill that Governor Doug Ducey signed into action. The law will ban abortions after 15 weeks. Recently, Governor Ducey also signed a bill into law that affects transgender youth. The law bans gender-affirming surgeries for people under 18 years old and bans transgender girls from participating in women's sports all the way up to the college level. Supporters say the abortion bill protects women from the emotional and physical trauma of undergoing abortions while saving lives. And the transgender bill protects children and women's sports. One of those proud supporters is Kathy Harrod. Kathy is the president of the Center for Arizona Policy, a socially conservative nonprofit advocacy organization. And anyone familiar with state politics is probably familiar with Kathy Harrod. You normally see her walking the halls of the state government as she whips up support for one piece of legislation or another. According to their website, 174 bills that they have supported have been passed in Arizona. The center promotes what they refer to as the foundational principles of life, religious freedoms, and family values. And for 25 years, Kathy Harrod has been leading the way, serving as president since 2006. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. Ron is out chasing down a story. So today, I'm joined by one of the most instrumental leaders in Arizona politics. Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be with you. Kathy, you have been influencing policy and change, mostly from a social conservative standpoint, uh, through the Center for Arizona Policy since 97. This has included the recent anti-abortion bills, the legislation that affects certain transgender youth from playing sports, but many more before that. Give us a sense as to what you stand for and what your message is as you're talking to state lawmakers down at the Capitol. Well, thank you. At Center for Arizona Policy, we advocate so that families can thrive. We see where good government, good policies, policies for the common good are also good for individuals and for families in our state. In many ways, the issues that we address really go to the issue of freedom. It's whether on the life issue, it's that abortion not only takes the life of an unborn child, but it also hurts women. Um, That we look at issues that interfere with parents' rights, that we believe that parents are the best arbiter to raise their children, to oversee the education, upbringing, health care of their children. We believe that the First Amendment means what it's supposed to mean, that all are able to freely exercise their religious beliefs without government interference. So that when we look at what issues are out there, what problems need to be solved, we really stay within that issue set and and really look at, okay, can this, can a different law make a difference in the lives of Arizonans? And that that's how we go about it. What does this moment in particular with this sort of string of recent successes for your group and your supporters, what does this moment mean for sort of the social conservative movement? I believe Arizonans and really throughout the country that many, many individuals are waking up to how government has interfered with basic freedoms, with basic rights. If you look at parents' rights, parents, whether it's because of COVID, whatever the the initial cause was or the catalyst, that parents have 
realize that there's some things going on with the education of their children that they need to engage in more. And so I think we see, I don't know that I would call it an awakening, but a greater awareness of that engagement in government, engagement in policy makes a difference, that what happens at the state capitol, what happens in Washington, D.C., does interfere or does impact your life, and that it's time to, in a sense, wake up and make your voice heard. So how does that translate into specific legislation that you have been um, pushing for, at least for the last couple of years, on that school choice front? Well, in school choice, I think, you know, we do not make a value statement on how a parent educates their child. How a parent educates their child is up to the parent. It's between the parent and God is what I often say. So whether that choice is district charter schools, home schools, online academies, private schools, we want to support the parents in that choice. So that's why we think every parent should have the opportunity to choose the school setting that best meets their child's needs. So that means that, yes, we've been very supportive of scholarship tax credits, of empowerment scholarship accounts, but we've also supported funding for the public schools. We took a stand in favor of Prop 123. So where some might think we're anti-public schools, we've not been. Um, currently, you know, we're, well, I'll give you one example. Um, surveys that students are being given in the schools. We started hearing from parents that there were questions on some of these surveys that parents objected to, like um, how much do your parents get along? Um, how much do your parents make? Do they have guns in the house? Um, do, they, um, do your parents tell you they're proud of you? So this session, we're trying to clean up a law, Representative Kaiser is the sponsor, to ensure that parents have opt-in, written parental consent before their student's given a survey, and that the parent's able to see what the questions are. And so just simple things like that, because sometimes, you know, when you think about surveys or what may happen in the classroom, it can plant seeds in the, in the child's mind that really, wait a minute, that's between the parent and child. It's really not the school's role. So on that sort of school choice front, you obviously have been um, a big supporter of, of broadening the empowerment scholarship account program, for example, um, as, as a policy issue that you support. Um, what, what do you expect on this front? I mean, the governor has indicated that uh, he, this is something that he cares deeply and passionately about, as do a lot of other Republican lawmakers. We haven't really seen the big shebang down there yet. What are you expecting? A good question, and I don't know what I'm expecting. Uh, I will say my hope is that we would have every parent in this state would have the opportunity to send their child to the school that best meets their child's needs. So whether that's an, an empowerment scholarship account that would allow the child to attend any school, uh, you know, whatever that looks like, uh, whether, you know, we don't like to use the term universal, you know, school choice or whatever, but we think that every parent should be empowered. It should not be limited by income and that um, every child deserves a great school. And we certainly believe that competition helps. And, you know, and I think we've seen, yeah, I know some families that they may have three, four children and they have used every school choice out there and to, to educate their children. And that, that's how it should be. So have you been in conversations with the governor's office on that front? Well, I never like to talk about what conversations I have going on um, behind the scenes, but you know, there are conversations going on all the time. Okay. On the abortion front, um, the 15-week limit is a big deal. 
this clearly has moved in a way that you have been pushing for for your many decades um, fighting this cause. What does that legislation mean for you and for social conservatives? Well, the U.S. Supreme Court since 1973 has not allowed states to regulate abortions before viability. Many people believe that viability is at 24 weeks when really it's at 21 or 22 weeks. And of course, viability is the point at which an unborn child can survive outside the mother's womb. So the purpose of Mississippi was the first state, of course, to do a 15-week limit. That's what's before the court. And the purpose is to test the limits, really, of the court. And will the court allow states to regulate pre-viable abortions? So our hope is that the U.S. Supreme Court, at a minimum, will uphold uphold the Mississippi limit, and then Arizona will be poised for our 15-week limit to go into effect. Why 15 weeks? Um, at 15 weeks, we know that the unborn child um, has uh, his, the noses and ears are formed that um, can wiggle in the womb, can respond to an ultrasound wham, wand, can hiccup, that the unborn child can feel pain at that stage. We also know that the later in pregnancy that a woman has an abortion, the greater risk to her health. So really at Center for Arizona Policy, we long have stood not just for saving the lives of unborn children, but also for mother's health and safety. And that we, you hear, you know, there are untold numbers of, sometimes I say walking wounded, of women who have had abortions and who have suffered from it. And so we, we believe that abortion not only stops a beating heart, but it also breaks a woman's heart and it also hurts women. So that's why the 15-week limit is important to look out. It's a win-win. You know, we often say we love them both. So it's a win-win for a woman and for the mother and child. Do you see the transgender uh, sports bill as a win-win? Yes, because it's not the, the um, we call it Save Women's Sports, but saying that only biological males can participate on girls' and women's sports teams is a way to um, save women's sports. You know, for how many decades did women fight for Title IX to have an equal playing field for, for girls, women to have a real chance at, at playing sports and all the value that sports brings? So that bill, that law will not stop anyone from being able to play sports. It just says that you can't have males on female teams. And I think it's important. I mean, we see examples. Of course, everyone, I think, is pretty aware of the UPenn swimmer who goes by the name Leah Thomas, who took first place in the NCAA finals, who, if you just look, I mean, there's no question. This is where biology does matter. Science does matter. That DNA, it doesn't matter what has happened, DNA cannot be changed. Muscle mass, lung ability, you know, there's still significant differences between men and women, and that plays out in, in the sports world. Um, people like Martina Navratilova have certainly has spoken out against having um, males in girls' sports. And so this is really an issue that I think most people understand. And it's, it's really, it's not against anyone. It's really for, let's make sure our girls and women have that, continue to have that opportunity. You know, the, another example besides the swim example, the track stars in, in Connecticut where the two males were um, not winning track meets when they started self-identifying as females, they cleaned up on all the records. And so there's an element of fairness and an element of preserving girl sports. Critics, on the other hand, have said, you know, this is um, sending the message that Arizona is intolerant, that it is in some ways discriminatory, and this, this could affect the mental health of some of these youth. What's the response to that? 
Well, we certainly have compassion for youth who are struggling with their sexuality. The you know, the evidence that's out there right now is that when someone transitions, it doesn't necessarily change their, like when, for example, suicide, we often hear um, that suicide ideation is greater or that in transitioning will help. That is not what the science is saying. That is not what we're seeing from studies. The studies on youth are still ongoing, but as far as in adults, transitioning is not making a difference. So there's a, you know, the solution to helping those youth is not in changing sports. You have worked with a number of governors, both Democrat and Republican, uh, during your professional career. How would you sort of rank this moment in terms of um, successes or accomplishments for the movement compared to prior administrations? Oh, now you're now you're really asking me a, a political dicey question. Um, I would say that um, Governor Ducey has governed as he committed he would. Um, when he first ran in 2014 for governor, there was no question that he was pro-life, that he was conservative, that he was pro-educational freedom. So Governor Ducey has been a leader in these areas, and we have been grateful for that. Um, he's a, Right now, he certainly wants to see academic transparency legislation go through. So Governor Ducey and his team have been um, very supportive and and have, have you know that's you know sometimes people try to act like oh I'm controlling I'm the puppeteer controlling the strings at the Capitol and all of that and sometimes I say I wish I had the power that people think I have but really you know they um, the governor many lawmakers reflect where many Arizonans are at so we do know him as pro life opportunity opportunity for all pro business. Um, pro-freedom, a lot of the, the same sort of labels that, that you just talked about. Um, but it also is really interesting that it has taken this long to get such meaningful legislation on this front. What do you attribute that to? Well, on the life issue, I'll take that for example. There, we have long favored an incremental approach. So part of when you look at the life issue it really does go to what are the courts going to allow. So for example, last year, we supported, advocated for a measure to prohibit abortions because of the genetic condition of the unborn child. So if the child is diagnosed in utero with Down syndrome, that that could not be the sole reason for having an abortion. Well, we know that other courts and other jurisdictions have upheld those laws. So sometimes it's, it's sensitive. We know we're in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So it's a calculation, it's an analysis, it's really a strategic decision of what, what more can we do to protect unborn children and their mothers within the constraints of the court, within the constraints of where the votes are. And, and that, that really is, is kind of what goes into the strategy. Part of, I think, what is most underappreciated um, about how the governor wields his power is um, his ability to manage and handle legislation to prevent uh, controversial legislation from reaching his desk. Was there ever any talk about whether or not this um, abortion bill should reach his desk? Were there efforts by the governor's office to to prevent that from happening? Not that I am aware of. Okay. What about any of these other pieces of legislation? No. I mean, the governor on the pro-life front has always been very, very encouraging. 
on the Mississippi 15-week limit, he signed a brief before the U.S. Supreme Court urging the court to uphold that law. So the, the governor has never wavered on his life position. And you know, behind the scenes, um, I've, not, I've not had that kind of pressure. Okay. On the other hand, you, you talk about um, how these successes um, are important uh, to people of faith, to the social conservative movement. Polling has indicated, though, that some of these bills aren't really popular with citizens. How are they sort of being justified to the people uh, being represented? Well, I don't know what polls you're talking about. I would say on Save Women Sports, we did a poll in November of 2021 that clearly showed that we had strong majority support for the Save Women Sports bill, that we had strong majority support to protect children from um, harm, from irreversible gender surgery, from puberty blockers, from hormone therapy, that um, even there's a recent Wall Street Journal poll that showed support for a 15-week limit. So, you know, I, I would counter that. I do believe that there is there is polling support that shows support. That there are polling data that shows support. But as always with polling data, it so much depends on how the question is asked. So there's going to be a lot of polling coming out over the next <laughs> six months uh, uh, up and through the midterm elections. How, how do you message this uh, to voters? How, what, it, what do these issues look like um, heading into the, to the midterms? Are you hoping candidates are going to be talking about um, these wins? Are you, um, you going to put these things front and center to, to voters ahead of the midterms? Well, um, I would say, first of all, that, that many of the proposals that we've supported, it's common sense. And I think that common sense legislative proposals resonate with the public. But how, how candidates message, how we advise candidates, that's not something I'll talk about. <laughs> Are you personally going to be getting involved in any of these big races? Well, at Center for Arizona Policy, we also have CAP Action, and that is our political arm. And yes, CAP Action will be involved in, in the elections, probably after the primary. And how are you going to decide who you want to support and who you don't? <laughs> well, it will be on the basis of their issue positions. We at Center for Arizona Policy, we have a azvoterguide.com as our website. We will be surveying the candidates coming up shortly. Um, we will have that data out before the primary. And then um, it will be based on interviews on, again, strategy is a big word for me. So it will be um, strategic as far as what, what it seems like the needs are. And, and where we can have the biggest impact. Any races in particular that you'll be closely watching? Well, certainly we will be closely watching the governor's, governor, attorney general, secretary of state, the legislative seats. Th those will be our priorities. Over under for the legislature remaining in Republican control. What do you oh, think? I, I've, I believe the legislature remains in Republican control. And let me just say, Center for Arizona Policy is nonpartisan. One of my regrets in this state is that we are too partisan, that in other states we certainly have Democrats that are pro-life that come together on issues of mutual interest, Democrats who are pro-school choice. That seems to not happen in our state. It did at one time a little bit more than it does now. So, you know, I don't look at it. I look at it more like is the legislature going to be pro-life, pro-family, pro-freedom, and I still I'm, I'm hopeful, and I'm hopeful that we can um, have a stronger legislature. All right, Kathy, if people want to find you on Twitter, where can they find you? I'm at AZ Policy on Twitter. Thanks so much. Thank you. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. 
Before you go, please rate and review our show and share this episode with a friend or two. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. You can find her on Twitter at Amanda Luberto. That's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 and our new bioscience program, The Lab, on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week. Thank you.